God, thank you for your kindness this morning. Thank you again for allowing us to gather here in Green Lake. Uh, We trust that we're not here by accident this morning, that you didn't just drop us here, but you have us here for a purpose as your church, as your people, who you've redeemed, who you have given new life to. And God, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word, through your living word. It's not a dead word. It's not like any other book. It's not a made-up theory or story, but God, it is your living word, and it has the power to transform us. It has the power to change lives. It has the power to take hearts that are far from you and to draw them near to you. God, may you, may you move in our church. God, for those who our guests with us today for the first time, God, would we be incredibly hospitable and loving. May we welcome others in with open arms. May we invite others in just like we would invite Christ you in. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you're leading. And God, may we continue to follow you in all that we do and all that we say, and all that we are about as a church and a people. So, God, thank you for the promise that you are with us this morning through the Holy Spirit, and God, may we trust that you will continue to be with us through the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, Redemption, I am uh, really excited, stoked, whatever other word that you want to throw out to be with you this morning, and specifically, what we're going to talk about. We've been going over the past several weeks for really four weeks. Now this is the fifth week of looking at we are redemption. Who are we as a church? And so if if you're a guest or if you're looking around for a church family or if you're just curious about church and what it is and Jesus and who he is and and what the Bible says and who God is, this is a great time to come and just to take part. So as we get going today, I want to trans, not transform us. That would be weird, right? I want to take us back to uh, about 1991 when I was seven years old and my family let me know that we were going to be going to Disney World in Florida. I thought this was amazing. Our whole family was going to go. So my um, close family, my mom and dad and one of my brothers, but also our extended family, aunts, uncles, everybody, we were going to get this big condo and we were going to head to Disney World for seven days and it was going to be amazing. And so I was so excited about Disney World. Here's what happened for me personally in this magical place is it, is it turned into everything but a horror show for me. So I'm seven years old and here's just a brief rundown of what happened at Disney. I showed up and we actually got to go into the park and that was awesome. I thought it was amazing and that lasted for about two hours because I got a sun rash and had to go sit inside the condo for the rest of the day. Strike one. Uh, the next day, we went to NASA Space Center with my parents, and I was watching other children run around and all this stuff, and all of a sudden, I don't know where my parents are, and I'm lost. Strike two, really bad time there. Totally freaked out, a lot of anxiety coming from that. The third thing that happened is, and I don't know why you would send a seven-year-old to go get ice for everybody in a condo. doesn't seem like a safe thing, especially not today, but hey, it was the 90s. And so somebody sent me to go get a bucket of ice, and guess what happens in condos? They all look the same. And so I went in, and I joined another family's um, experience at Disney, totally freaked out in my mind, and thought I was going to get kidnapped. That was like strike four or five, whatever you want to put it on there. And then to top everything else off, um, it was my cousin's birthday, and as the birthday party started, I ran across the kitchen floor, can still remember it, slipped, somebody had mopped the floor and not said anything, slammed my head, got a big old whelp, and spent the rest of the night uh, laying down in bed. 
So, Disney World, a magical place. <laughs> Now, here's the deal. That's how it is for me. So when I think about Disney World, I have、um, some different feelings, some different ideas, some different thoughts about what it is, what it has to offer, all of those things. Now for you, if you've gone to Disney World or Disneyland, you probably have some different thoughts and different ideas. Maybe it's great. Maybe this is just an awesome place and you have great experiences and great memories and all of these things. Or even if you've never gone, you probably have some idea of what it is or what it's about or what it has to offer. Based on your experience, what you've observed or what you've taken part in. And really, as we look at even today, the church, it's the same way. We have a lot of different things that we bring into the church different ideas, different thoughts, different experiences. Some of you grew up in churches that, looking back now, you probably wouldn't attend today. Some of you didn't grow up in church, but you've heard a lot about church, what it was, what it's supposed to be. Some of your experiences with church have been good. For some of you, it's been not so good. For some of you, it's been a mixed bag. And all that to say, even if you don't think that any of this, any of these experiences, any of, any of these different notions and ideas that we have, if, if you don't think that those have anything to do with the way that you view the church, I, I promise you it does. It absolutely does. And so instead of going round and round today about what the church is, could be or should be, The best place to start is where we always want to start and where we always want to end, and that's, that's in the Word of God. What does God say about His church?、Um, as we start, just did a passage in 1 Peter. It's going to give us a very clear description, a very clear idea of what really the church is. And we'll use that as a springboard to go into our main passage today. So look at this. This is in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's a beautiful description of the church. That the church is not just an organization, that it's not a platform, it's not a business, that it's not just a building, it's not these walls around us, that it's not just a set of programs that we can take part in and that we can get plugged into or connected in, that it's not a structure, that it's not just a Sunday morning experience as we are in here today. This is not what the church is, not holistically. It's a people. It is a people. Who Jesus gave himself to make a family. Never any of these other things. It always comes back to a people, a family, what we would call a community. This is the church. What God has done is he has brought us together because we share something in common as the church. If you have a relationship with Jesus, and that's exactly it, we have a relationship with Jesus. As this passage says, we've been called out of darkness into the light. We've been shown mercy. And so, even though may, we may be different in so many different ways, we share this in common. This is what makes us God's people. This is what makes us the church. This is what makes us a Christian community. And so, why is it so important to understand this? Why do we start here? Why can't we just, just come with our own ideas or, or decide what church is for ourselves? Because if we don't, we will absolutely allow our own preconceived notions, experiences, thoughts, ideas, To paint either a distorted picture of what the church is 
or just dismiss church as a community, and more than that, a critical community. So we're going to spend the rest of our time in this passage that I absolutely love, and I, and, I, and I pray that God moves through this to really open up our hearts and minds even more to, to this idea of community. It's Ephesians chapter 4, and as we unpack part of this passage, here's what we'll see today very clearly, and I put this up here. I think this stands out really clearly, that Christian community is not supplemental, so attack on. It's not supplemental, but fundamental to your growth as a disciple and our growth as a church family. So let's pick up here in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're just going to walk through a few verses this morning as we look at community. Here's what it says in verse 11 as it starts. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so let's stop right there for a minute. One of the greatest distortions, misunderstandings, or even reason for dismissing the need for community within the church comes right here. Here's what it is. If you believe, which I I think a lot of people do, if you believe that the pastors or pastor are solely responsible for your growth, for your development, for your maturity in Christ, you will be incredibly disappointed. If you believe that the pastor is solely responsible to fix marital issues when they come up, to fix issues with children when they come up, to work through every single thing that pops up in your life or challenges that you may face, to fix struggles, to fix doubts, to fix your pain, you will be incredibly frustrated. And you'll be let down. Now I know what you may be saying, it sounds like, it's like, Drew, it sounds like you were trying to, you're trying to shrink out of responsibilities here. Like, what in the world do we pay you for? If you're, what do you do? Play Xbox? Like what's going on? I don't, I don't even have an Xbox. <laughs> Here's what I want you to see, though. And this is, this is so clear here, but I think a lot of times we mix it up. That, that my role, that any pastor's role in the church is, is this. It says it really clearly. It's not to do the work of the ministry for the saints, but to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is really the responsibility of the pastor within the church. And that happens in a lot of different ways. But I think sometimes we can mix that around and we think that pastors or leaders, they, they simply do all the work of the ministry, but that's not the case. And this is a good thing. Believe me, this is actually a good thing for you. It would stunt your growth if this were true. It would keep you from making disciples if this were true. It would keep you from discipling. It would be incredibly unloving. If you ever go to a church and the pastors are the only ones doing everything, get away from that church because that's unloving. It's uncaring. It's not going to help you grow to become more like Jesus. And so what is this work that it's talking about here in Ephesians? What is this work of the ministry? Look at this next verse. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. And so here is the work in a nutshell. That we would be built up as the body of Christ into mature disciples that we would be built up as the body of Christ into mature disciples and outside of God who is, in, who, who is involved in seeing this happen. The answer is at the beginning of 13 here. If you look at it, there's a big word. It's actually really small, but it's key. It's the word we. We are all involved in this. This is not a solo project. The idea here is community. 
This goes far beyond and far deeper than just Sunday. This is a form of community, absolutely. The fact that we're gathered in here is a form of large community, but this is, this is not it. This is a part of the community. Maybe you can think about it like this. This isn't um, a perfect analogy, but it's one that I was thinking about. As we gather on Sunday, and even as we gather and we do certain events together, maybe you think about that like as sort of the extended family in a sense. We're all getting together, brothers, sisters, cousins, moms, dads. We're all getting together. We're celebrating together. We're enjoying Jesus together. But then we go, and we go back to our homes, and we have our immediate family. We have those who we go deeper with. We have those who we know more. We have those who we establish relationships with that go beyond just a hello on a Sunday morning and go really into life where there's pain, where there's struggles, where there's challenges, where there's great things. And so really, even as a church, what this looks like for us, this is why we have life groups. This is why we have the option of a DNA group to go deeper, to be known. That church would not just be seen as just a Sunday experience, although this is a great time for us to gather together, but that we would eventually, if we haven't yet, that we would go deeper. That we would be truly known. That we would be further and more deeply connected in community, as a community. And why is this so important? Here's what it says in verse 14. We do this, so we do the work of the ministry, we build one another up, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every single wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Here's what Paul says, that we are in danger if we are not coming together as a community, building one another up in Christ, helping one another grow to be more like Jesus. Essentially, here's what happens when we go it alone and we paddle out to sea by ourselves. We start to believe lies about God, about what's really true, and we're easily deceived. This past week, I watched um, the movie Everest, and it was my second time watching it. I know it's been out for several years. But as I was watching it, I was in, and I was also doing sermon prep, I was reminded of this. I, when they go to try to scale this mountain, which is very challenging, they don't do it alone. They go in as a team. And there are several reasons that they do this. One reason is for encouragement. When you feel like throwing in the towel, when you feel like you can't make it any further. For safety, when things get dangerous. For support, when you get freaked out and you get scared to bandage you up when you do fall and get hurt, to celebrate with you when you make it, to help guide you back if you start to get lost, and to search for you if you do get lost. Community in your life is so important. And I know this is something I take for granted, and it is far more important than I think we often even realize. There is such a danger in going it alone. Without this, we start to become more and more like Tom Hanks in Castaway. Now, you might not be drawing faces on volleyballs, but here's what happens. Is if you go it alone for long enough, you will absolutely lose touch with reality. You will become delusional. You will lack self-awareness. You will start to believe things that you never intended to believe. You will start to take part in ideas and thoughts and lies that you never intended to take part in. And these things will start to pull you further and further and further away from Jesus. There is such a danger in going it alone. I mean, even think about this. When Satan tempted Jesus in his ministry, he didn't do it when Jesus was in a group. When did he do it? 
He did it when Jesus was alone in the desert. Jesus, in his ministry, he lived in community. He saw the need for this. He lived with disciples. And you may say, well, he was just with the disciples because he was equipping them to do what they were going to do with planning the early church. It's like, wow, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man, meaning the fully man aspect of Jesus absolutely knew the need for community around him. He didn't go it alone. And he was perfect. He could have. If anybody could have gone it alone, and he, and he obviously he could have. He's perfect, but he didn't. What Paul's really pointing to here, I believe, is that when we don't build one another up, when we don't come around one another, when we're not growing together, is that there is a danger, and it's far easier for you to even be targeted by Satan to pull you away from people, to pull you away from Jesus, to pull you away from what you really should believe and from where you stand. For all of us, you're going to have times, and you probably have had times, when you, when you doubt God, when you doubt things about God. We'll have times when we're tempted to believe lies that say that we need to work for God's love, or that we could never be good enough for God's love, or that we've blown it too much, and we could never come, that, that God would never want to love us or know us. So you'll have people around you that will try to convince you that what you believe or what you hold to in the faith is a joke, and that you should throw it all away, and you should throw it out the window. And what you need during these times, hear this, isn't self-help or to be alone. You need Christian community. What you need is the church. Now I get it. You may say, yeah, that sounds great. But I've been hurt by people that were supposed to care for me. And what if I get hurt again? I've trusted people in the past and they've let me down. Why would this be any different? If I had time, sure, but my schedule is crazy. I'm afraid if people really knew me, the real me, then they wouldn't like me or really want to know me. I'm not sure that I can really care for someone like this. This sounds great, but it all seems too vulnerable. Look, there are no shortage of reasons not to give yourself to deeper community. Will you get let down in community? Yes. Does it mean being vulnerable? Yes. Is it inconvenient? Yes. Will people get on your nerves from time to time? Yes. But is it worth it? Absolutely, because you were made for it. And without it, it's far easier to be deceived than to grow. Community isn't supplemental. It can't be seen like that. It's not a tack on that you throw on because you want a little bit more. It's not a supplement like a vitamin that you take in when, when you feel like you need it, when it's convenient. It's fundamental that when lies come, you need to hear the truth. And look at this next verse here. Here's what it says in 15. Rather, so instead of being tossed to and fro, instead of wandering, instead of believing in false things and being deceived, rather speaking the truth. What a statement there, speaking the truth. I love life groups. I love the opportunity for DNA. Here's what we do in life groups. We come together as a smaller community. We share meals together. We open the Bible together. We pray together. As we do this, there's something deeper here. As we come together, as we open the Word, as we share meals together, as we do all of these things, we're building something. We're building relationships. You are building relationships. You are becoming more and more known, and that should open the door to what it says here, to speaking the truth. But if we're honest, hearing the truth can be really challenging. I know it is for me. I think this is one big reason why we avoid deeper community. Facebook, social media, all of these things are big and they've grown more and more and more. Now you could look at it, let's just, let's just say Facebook for a minute, you could look at it and say, well, the rise of Facebook really just has to do with the opportunity to connect with others. Well, maybe in the beginning, but I also think that there's something that's deep-seated in it. If you don't like what you hear, 
you can unfollow somebody. If you don't like what somebody says, you can unfriend them. It seems a lot safer. It allows us to really put up walls when we feel like we need to put them up. It allows us to stay at a level that we feel good about. And it doesn't force us to really engage further than we're comfortable with. Think about this in our life. If a person says something, and this is, this is throughout our society, throughout our culture, if a person says something that I don't like, I can cut off that relationship. If I'm ever confronted on my stuff, I disengage and I can go somewhere else. Look, it's important that you have people that actually know you. And even when it comes to the church, I know the church isn't perfect. I, I can tell you that. The church isn't perfect. You're, you're going to get hurt. We're imperfect people. We don't always love each other the way that we should. We don't always say the things that we should we aren't always as hospitable as we wish we, we were. We all carry things in here with us. We all have baggage. We all have issues. But I would plead with you this morning, don't throw out the church. And obviously, you're here this morning, but guess what? A lot of your friends may not be. And so would you even encourage them, don't throw away the church. And don't hop from church to church to church to church. And, and, and here's why I'm saying that. is because if you do that, then nobody will abs- ab- Nobody will be able to really know you in a way where they can see things in your life and speak the truth into your life. And so give yourself to the church. It's Jesus' church. Give yourself to a people. Give yourself to deeper community. This is how we grow together. And some of you have been in very unhealthy Christian community, and and, and I'm sorry for that, and you've been hurt before. Here's the intent, though, and I love this. When it says speaking the truth, the intent is always to build one another up in Christ, not to be harsh or to tear one another down. That's why these next two words are so important. Here's what it says. Rather speaking the truth in love. In all the truth that we speak, some easy, some difficult, it must be done in love. And for someone to know that you are speaking the truth in love, it requires something. It requires a relationship. It requires them knowing that you really care about them, that you're really concerned for them. And so before you speak, and this is something I've even thought about for myself, before we speak truth, before we say things to one another, may we first check our motives. May we ask, am I really saying this to them? Am I really going to speak this truth in their life? I see that this is going on with them, or I think I need to say this. You need to check your motive. Are you really doing it because you want to see them become more like Jesus, or is there another reason? And if there's another reason, if it's pride that's built up in you to where you have decided you are the truth speaker now, or if you actually want to see them torn down, you want to see them get what they deserve, or you want to see what they do when you say something really hard, then don't say something yet. Check your motive. Because all the truth that we speak should be done, as this passage says, in love. Jesus had some very hard things to say throughout his ministry, but he always said them in love. And the reason why? Because he always cared just as much about the person as he did the point that he was making. And so as a church, when we have the opportunity to speak the truth in community, may we do it in love. Here's a quote from John Stott. I really like this quote. He's responsible for really leading a lot of the evangelical movement and really pushing that forward. Here's what he says. He says, truth is hard if it is not softened with love. And love is soft if it is not strengthened by the truth. Truth without love is really like trying to do surgery with a hacksaw. It's hurtful and it's ineffective. The truth with love is really a careful procedure that brings about life and helps us grow, which is the point here as it says, as we speak the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Grow up in every way. 
If we're honest, we all have areas that we need to grow in, that we're continuing to grow in. So in an honest and loving community, we encourage one another in the truth of the gospel. We encounter areas of immaturity. We face it. We confess it. And instead of packing up and walking away, we walk it out. And as we do, here's what it says here, we grow. We grow as we do this. Then verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. I love this statement, when each, when each part is working properly. Consistency is crucial. Consistency in community is crucial. It can't just be a hit and miss. It has to be intentional. You need to be there. You need to be in it. And it's not just crucial for you, but for the rest of the body, for the rest of the people who you're in community with. One of my friends, he's a pastor in um, South Carolina. He said this. He said, if your biblical community is only on your terms when you feel like it, it's not biblical community you, ha- it's not biblical community you have. You're just using people. We need to be really, really careful that we don't see community as simply supplemental and that we just show up when we need something or that we view it in sort of a consumeristic lens, but that we realize we need it for ourselves to grow and we need it to help others grow. And so there's a dual responsibility here. On an individual level, it means that we show up and we engage. And here's the thing. Let me just, let me just say this. If, we, if I went to a Sounders game, which I have, several times, just in case you're wondering. If I went to a Sounders game and I was physically present at the game, you still would not say that I was part of the game or I was playing or I was on the team. Even if I'm physically present there, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that I'm a part of the Sounders or that I'm a part of the team or that I'm any of that. Here's, here's the point, is that just showing up is great and it's awesome, but don't don't mistake just being physically present from being fully engaged. Yes, it takes vulnerability. Yes, it takes building relationships, but engage fully. Be emotionally present. Be spiritually present. Give yourself to a people. Let yourself be known. Invite others in to know you. Don't be deceived in thinking that community is just being physically there. It's far more than that. It means being fully engaged. And so there's this responsibility for the individual that we would show up, that we would be a part, that we would make it a priority, that we would be consistent. And then there's the responsibility on the group level, that as a group, that we would show one another love, that we would speak the truth in love, that we would not be harsh, that we would bear one another's burdens, that we would care for one another well, that we wouldn't leave people out in the cold, that we wouldn't just say we're going to pray for somebody, but that we really pray for somebody, but that we would do it, that we would show up when it's not easy, that we would be inconvenienced because we care about that person more than we care about keeping our schedule that we would be there in the times of need and brokenness and we wouldn't shy away and we wouldn't walk away, but we would further engage because that's what Christ has called us to. That we would love one another in such a selfless way that it would seem incredibly odd and strange, but that's exactly what Christ did and why he seems so odd and strange. And so would we do that in community because of Christ's love in us, being built up together, one another, that we would become more like Christ? Would we be that kind of community? This is really what Christ has called us to. But my first question, when anytime this pops up of a feeling of disconnection or lack of care, my first question is always, are you in a life group? Are you in community? Do you have people around you? 
because it is going to be really hard to feel connected to a church and a people and feel cared for and really be cared for if you're not in community. It's just not going to happen. And here's the thing, life is difficult. Life's hard. It's not always easy. We need a community that cares. We need Christian community around us. We need the church. And so as your pastor, I don't want you to go it alone. And as your Savior, neither does Jesus. That's why he went it alone for you. That's why Jesus, for a time, was disconnected from his community, the Father and the Spirit, so that you would not have to be disconnected and alone. There are a lot of scary things that we face, and there are a lot of fears that we have, but one of the greatest fear, if not the greatest fear, that human beings have when they're asked, what are you most afraid of? What oftentimes pops to the very top of that list is being alone is being alone. And so what Christ did is he walked that path for you. That you would have the opportunity to take part in a genuine, loving, caring family of believers and that you wouldn't have to go it alone. That's why he came. That's why he lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. That's why he gave his life so that we could be redeemed and welcomed into the family, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is the gospel. This is the beauty of it. But it's not something that's solo. It's not meant to be that way. And so as we press into it and we don't walk away and with the Holy Spirit at work, the result is amazing at the last part of this verse. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Imagine what this looks like when we're all engaged together in community, as a community. People are known and cared for. No one's going it alone. People are bearing one another's burdens. They're praying for one another. They're helping one another, sacrificing for one another. Sin is brought into the light. People are encouraged in the truth of the gospel and growing. And those who don't know Jesus are witnessing this type of community and asking questions. And check this out, meeting Jesus. What this looks like is a growing family of mature, Jesus-loving, people-loving people. What this looks like is a healthy church. What this looks like is a healthy community when we build one another up, when we engage. Not only that, it'll help to expand the kingdom. Alexander Strzok, in his book, Leading with Love, he says this. He says, the one thing that no one should be able to compete with the church on is also the one thing everyone is looking for. Genuine, loving community. And so if you're in community, if you've been a part of this church, if you're in a life group, if you're in a DNA group, I would encourage you this morning, continue. Go deeper. Become more known. Don't give in to fear. Don't disengage. Don't walk away when things get busy. Continue. Press in. Know that it's good. Grow together. If you're not, I would encourage you, join one. Jump in. I will personally connect you with one. It's part of what I do here. And so if you want to get into community, or even just check it out, even if you're still hesitant, but you're like, I think this is something we really need. I think this is something I need. I think this is something my family needs. Connect table, or right after this service, talk to me, or put your name down in your email. We will introduce you to an amazing, great, imperfect, but growing community of people that would love to welcome you and that would love to know you. Engage. Don't be scared and don't let a past experience dictate your future reality. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you feel very lonely, 
and you feel very disengaged, and you feel very doubtful and uncertain. Maybe as we've read this passage, maybe for the first time today, you're sensing the need for a family. You're sensing the need for a community that cares to come around you. And what Jesus offers you is the same thing that he has offered the church. He offers you his love. He offers you his grace. He offers you his compassion. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You can accept it freely. You can give him your sin. He will give you new life. This is the beauty of the gospel. Even the best preaching, teaching, programs, podcasts, books, they'll never be able to replace the power of community and the need for it in your life or the life of the church. Christian community is not supplemental, but fundamental to your growth as a disciple and our growth as a church family. So redemption, if we're going to be serious about enjoying Jesus, loving people, making disciples, we have to, although imperfect, we have to be a genuine, loving, growing community people.